Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right, guys. So we are continuing our sermon series through the book of Acts. Uh, today, I have a little bit of a uphill challenge on my side. Uh, we have to cover quite a bit, and I made a challenge with Fee a few weeks ago that I could do all this in 25 minutes. I might break that challenge today. I'm hoping for the best of so y'all. Please be with me. We're going to be in chapter two, and we're covering all 41 verses of chapter two, the first 41 verses. I'm going to read it into our hearing, and then I'll pray for our time together, and we'll dive in, okay? Chapter 2 of Acts, verses 1 through 41, it says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that had separated, that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven, when this sound occurred. A crowd came together, uh, a, a crowd came together and was confused, excuse me, I lost my place, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Mede, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongue. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on a new wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, follow fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. The the Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with, with miracles and wonders and signs that God did among you through him. 
just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you useless, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will remain rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades and allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch, David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to set one, to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it is not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord declares to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from the corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, your words still stand strong. To this day, I stand here saying, Lord, use me, use your manservant as you see fit. Not as someone to expew a bunch of knowledge or information, but Father, as someone who is seeking to see your people know you more fully. I pray today um, that as I go through your text, that I try not to just get it all out. Father, that you would illuminate your text and show yourself to us in a new way, in a, a more present way than we've ever seen before. Father, I admit I am afraid at this moment because I want to make sure that I am speaking clearly what you say and not what I see. So, Father, I pray that you hold my tongue. You give me the wisdom to speak when I should speak, and you give and you you also bind my tongue when I am saying anything outside of your will. 
So, Father, we need you today. Let your Holy Spirit have reign in this place. Throw the weight of your glory around and let us experience you in a way we've never experienced you before. And let us be drawn to you and love you more and more and more. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Give you all the glory. It's in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 2020 Times Magazine wrote an article saying uh, the U.S. Capitol riot was years in the making. Here's why America's so divided. The opening line said there is no advanced industrial democracy in the world more politically divided or, or politically dysfunctional than the United States today. How did the world's most powerful country get to this point? To paraphrase a great American writer, slowly, then suddenly. The Capitol riots were not just years in the making, but decades. That is because of three distinct features of American society that has been ignored by U.S. politicians for far too long. The enduring legacy of race, the changing nature of capitalism, and the fracturing of our collective media landscape. The writer of Times tries to address and prescribe uh, a solution to our problem, the division of our nation. I mean, we can all turn on the news and know how divided we are. Right now, we see the division between, po um, between police and, and African Americans in the community. We see the division between politicians. We see the division between countries. We see wars all around us. Division is all around us. Yet the New York, yet Times Magazine um, wrongly says that this is America and they're the most powerful country and that we can fix the, this problem of division. The problem is division goes further back than America. It goes further back than the civil rights movement in the 60s. It goes further back than the transatlantic slave trade. It goes further back than the uh, pilgrims pushing the Native Americans out of this country. It goes further back than America's existence. It goes further back than all we can remember. This division doesn't just have a fleshly root. It actually has an eternal root. This division goes very back to the very beginning of all history. And today in our text, we see how there's actually coming an end to division. There's coming this means that's going to bring all people who are different from different nations, different tongues, different ethnicities together and end division once and for all. But before we could talk about what ends division, we must do a quick historical look of where this division comes from. Right now, we're actually about to run down this thing called redemptive history. Somebody say redemptive history. There we go. Redemptive history is a general term to describe the study of God's act of redemption from creation to present. You see, redemption was always God's plan from the very beginning. It was always his plan to bring things that were far off in together. But we must go back to the beginning of how it all started, which starts in. And listen. I'm about to run through a lot. I'm about to run through 10 chapters of Genesis as briefly as possible. 
as briefly as possible. If you miss it, it's okay. We got a podcast. We got a YouTube channel. Go listen to it later and come challenge me about it if you disagree with what I'm saying. But Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, let me stop right here because you actually see the triune nature of God shows up right here in Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God, then the spirit of God hovers over the waters. Then the word of God went forth and all things came into be. God, the beginning, the one who spoke and thought of all things, God, the spirit of God hovers over the earth, brings all things into this sustainable place. And God, the word go forth and all things come into creation. Isn't it funny that the very triunity of the Godhead is shown right here in the beginning. And in the beginning, the triune God made mankind in his image to have a relationship with him, to be present with him. Then we jump to Genesis 2. God gives man and woman dominion over all that he created as his representatives on earth, saying that they have full access to everything except the tree of good and evil. The reason the knowledge of good and evil, the reason he didn't give them access to him, because he said, I want you to live under my supremacy, my reign, but I want you to know I'm the one in control. I set the parameters of how this works out. And the best way to do that is to put something right in front of you you shouldn't touch. Because if you trust me and you believe in me, you know everything comes from me. The source of all life comes through me. You don't need to go outside of me to find anything. Genesis 3, we find the fall of man. One of God's created beings, the serpent, or called the adversary, goes into the garden and said, did, Jesus, did God really say that? Did God say you can't touch it? Man, wanting to be autonomous and wanted to be fully in control, to be a supreme rule over their own life, said, you know what? I'm going to eat it. And the craziest thing is, he said, if you eat it, it'll make you like God. But we were made first in the image of the invisible God. We're already made in his image. So the fall of man severs our relationship with God and removes us from his presence. But God. Right there, but God. But God being merciful and loving in his nature, he put a plan forth saying, God, he told woman and man, I will redeem you through a son. So Genesis 3, right now we hear the the first explanation of the gospel being declared, saying that redemption is coming. A son shall redeem you back to me. But as we go forth, Genesis 4, Adam and Eve have their first children, Cain and Abel. Well, Cain is a sinful child and Abel is the righteous child. Cain kills Abel. So I just want you to see how far we've gotten. So far... Our relationship with God has been severed. And now the first murder takes place in Genesis 4. Our relationship with our brother, our fellow mankind is being severed. So Cain kills Abel. Uh, God marks Cain, curses Cain because of his sin. But his mark of his curse on him was actually a sign of grace saying nobody can touch you because redemption is still coming. Later on, uh, God blesses Adam and Eve with a new child called named Seth. And it's funny, after Seth is born, it says, God, man started to worship God again. Seth is born in the lineage of the promise of a redeemer continues through his offspring. But so does sin through the lineage of Cain. 
And we have this running narrative from Genesis 5 through 7, where you see all these people being begotten, 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 begotten. And you see man's corruption is continuing on. But you also see self's lineage is continuing on to a man named Noah, where he's been given a promise. We see the lineage of promise continue to get to Noah. But the sin spread as mankind spreads. And as sin spreads, God judges the earth through a flood. But because Noah was a part of that lineage of promise, he spares Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. And he said, I will make a new covenant with you. Get to Genesis 8. The flood subsides. God makes a promise with Noah. He would not destroy the world again or wipe away all of creation because of man's sin. Genesis 9, God blesses Noah and his sons to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Once again, man sins. And we see the schism between God, man, and each other continues because sin has not been completely dealt with. But remember, there was a promise that sin will be dealt with by a son. And the division between God and man will be repaired which means all the division that's been put in place after God and man will be repaired afterwards. If I, you don't remember anything out this, I want to give you, uh, we have a sticky note. I'll give you that up front. God's promise is to end all division and for us to live under his supreme reign. Now we jump to Genesis 10, and then after that, we're going to jump into our passage. At Genesis 10, as man has continued to spread, Noah's children are spreading, and his promise is going, and sin is also going through mankind's lineage, we get this thing called the table of nations. The table of nations are where all men are spreading, all people are going. The diaspora of man is being spread throughout the rest of the world. So all the nations are going forth. And that promise is continuing on that thread, but so is man's rebellion continuing on that thread. It has not been done away with yet. And this thread, these two threads continue forth through the whole Old Testament. You can follow it. God continues to tell him, repent and believe in me. Repent and believe in me. Repent and believe in me. And man continues rebelling, rebelling, rebelling trying to work themselves to be made right before God, but they're unable to make themselves right before God. But today we find ourselves in Pentecost. Pentecost in the book of Acts is actually about 10 days after Jesus, the Son of God, has come, died on the cross, crucified, bled. He's gone to the grave, resurrected, and now he said, all power and life is in my hand. Y'all stay here. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Y'all stay here. And it's continuing that theme in the Old Testament because the Old Testament, Pentecost, uh, is 10 days after the Passover. And this is something called the harvest of first fruits. Y'all tracking with me? Like I said, it's going to be a lot of stuff I'm going to run through. If you don't get it, go back, listen to the podcast. And y'all can also challenge me if I said something crazy. Um, So this is the festival of the first fruits. And on the day of Pentecost, when they had arrived, they were all together in one place. He left in Jerusalem and said, stay right here. 
And suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. This sound of violent rushing wind is actually something we see again from the the Old Testament. Luke, this whole time, is kind of pointing back for you to understand what's taking place. That's why I had to take a run through redemptive history because he's pointing back the whole time. In Ezekiel, the sound of rushing wind was the sound that God's presence was coming in. So they heard a sound of rushing wind as violent, and they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled. Now, this imagery of them being filled with the Holy Spirit is the same imagery from the Old Covenant or the Old Testament when they had the the tabernacle where the God's Spirit would come and dwell inside of the temple. Right now, we're seeing the signification that God's Spirit is now dwelling in a new temple, a temple not made by man's hands, but a temple of flesh and blood. Now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people, from of every nation under heaven. Remember Genesis 10, every nation, you see the, di- the spreading, all of a sudden, all of them are here in Jerusalem. And when the sound occurred, a crowd came together and they was confused because each of them heard them speaking in his own language. Can we talk about tongues for a moment? Tongues right here is not an intangible language, but it's actual regular languages that they were surprised they would hear other people speaking so fluently. Matter of fact, verse 7 gives us a little insight to why they were so surprised. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? See, during that time, the the miraculousness of it wasn't the fact that they were speaking in different languages. It was the fact that Galileans were speaking in different languages. Now, if you don't understand anything about Galileans, Galileans were kind of backwood country folk. You know, I'm from East Oaks. I talk like this right now here. They, they, if you heard me speaking fluently in Spanish, you'd be like, wait a minute, what is going on? But the fact that they were hearing these uneducated, unlearned men that we would see in Acts chapter 4, that these were uneducated men who just spent time with Jesus. They were hearing them speaking their own language. They were surprised. Blown away. Pause. When people hear you talk or they hear, they see your life or they see the way you act, are they surprised? Blown away for how different, how unexpected that is for them? Um, I have a neighbor that lives across the street from me, and we have this running joke. All of He tells all of his family, hey, that's the reverend right there. And they were like, that ain't no reverend. That's a street dude. Every time we see him, he in jeans with a T-shirt. But my life has been so reflected before him and before his family that they can't deny there's something different about that guy across the street. Carrying on in verse 8 through 11. These men ask, how is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, uh, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts. That word converts is actually the words uh, sojourners or or, uh, kind of Gentiles that became Jews. Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. So what he's doing right here, again, 
the author, Luke, is pointing back to something we should pay attention to. Remember, I just gave you a redemptive history all the way up to chapter 10 of Genesis. When chapter 11, the last time everybody spoke in the same language, we see the rebellion of man trying to declare their own kingdom on earth, building their own temple up towards God. And God, showing how big and mighty he is, had to disrupt their plans, and he did it by what? We got any Bible scholars in chapter 11 of Genesis. What you think happened? Different languages, the Tower of Babel. This is the last time that all men were able to talk the same language because he confused their languages and spread them out. And if you, if you follow the chart of everybody who's listed right here in Acts, chapter, in Acts 2, verse 11, 8 through 11, if you follow that chart and you follow the list of nations from Acts, I mean, from Genesis chapter 11, it's the exact same nations. God has been spreading man further and further out because we've been further and further away from him. But the only way that this division would come to an end is if his spirit came to bring us back to himself first and foremost. And through that, his created beings would be connected back to him. And through being connected back to him, his creation would be able to connect to the rest of creation. That was what was taking place. Jumping down to verse 12 through 15, uh, we see they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Some sneered and said, they're drunk on that new wine. They doubted. They seeing something miraculous there, but they're still doubting. So we shouldn't be so surprised when people are still doubting our faith today. Because they are, are literally seeing the hands of God working, his spirit moving, and people doing something miraculous, and they're still doubting. But I love what follows up after that. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews, of all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. I love the fact that it was Peter. Of all people who speaks up, and he's the first one to talk because this was the same Peter who denied Jesus himself. After walking with Jesus for three years, seeing his miraculous hands take place, Peter even doubted on that day when he was betrayed. But now, after seeing the resurrected Christ and being redeemed by saying three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter is the boldest one to speak up and said, brothers, I understand your doubts. I understand your doubts, but let me explain what's taking place. So for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is spoken through the prophet Joel. Here we go. Peter again, pointing back to the Old Testament. I want you to understand the reason I had to give you so much of the Old Testament is because they understood the Old Testament. In a day and age where we're so biblically illiterate, we have to understand what's taking place to understand what's being said. But he points back to the prophet Joel, and he says, and it will be in the last day, says God. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions. 
and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, as and they will prophesy. Peter was saying, hey, guys, y'all been waiting for that day, that day when God would declare that the end of all things are coming to pass. Well, guess what? You're watching it take place. You're seeing the beginning of the end and the spirit is not held up to the elite or the special, the priest, the only ones that can enter the temple, but even the ones on the street, even the lowly of the lowlies, even the servants, even the both men and women. And when they say servant, they mean like literal slaves. These were the housemaids, the house servants, those who didn't have the greatest education. No, the spirit was for them also. I think that gives us, it should give us so much encouragement because that means that it doesn't take a special person to stand in place right here and declare of God's word, but his spirit is being opened up for all of us who are willing to accept and hear him. And then it says, I will display wonders in heaven above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and the clouds of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and this moon to blood. Before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes, then everyone who calls on my name of the Lord, uh, calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's doing two things here. As he's talking about the prophet Joel's prophecy, he's also including in a couple of the other prophets. We believe he's including in Zechariah and Ezekiel. And I want you to also know this. He's pointing to something that already took place. On the day when Jesus went to the cross, the skies turned black. The ground shook. They, they literally described it as like almost fire in the sky. It was, it was a traumatic, dark day. But now the spirit is being poured out, showing that it's the sign of God has redeeming people, redeeming nations. Now, Peter at this moment is actually missing a little bit. I think Luke has this funny way of telling, kind of unfolding the story. So right now, Peter is seeing it only for the Israelites. He only thinks this is for the Israelites. Look at verse 22 through 24. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. The Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to the cross to kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to, for him to be held by death. Now, he's declaring the gospel to him, but this is what I mean by Peter right now is missing it just a little bit. Is because he thinks right now this is only for the Israelites. The best way I can give you the sign is because before chapter 9, he thinks the promise is only for the Israelites. When Peter goes to visit Cornelius, what does Jesus do? He lays down this great banquet before him and says, hey, kill and eat, kill and eat, kill and eat. Because he was trying to show them that the spirit was for all that comes forth. But at this moment, because there were Israelites in place, and yes, the first harvest would first come out of the Israelites, Peter kind of has this sense of, oh, this is only for us. He's still thinking that the promised land that was that he was waiting for in chapter one was the thing that was about to come. But Luke is kind of winking ahead. He said, Peter gets it, but not fully yet. 
Peter is getting it. He is right that this is about coming because Jesus came and he performed miracles and his people first denied him and they turned away from him and they rebelled against him and then they used the hands of Gentiles to crucify him. But through God's redeeming plan, he already knew that would take place. He knew the Israelites would turn an eye to Jesus and not listen to him. And God, and, and God raised them up, ending the pains of death because of our, through our rebellion. It literally took our rebellion for death to die. Like, I want you to get that. Like, like that's the mind-blowing part. God used our sinful nature to actually finish his plan. He used our rebellion and our brokenness and, and the wickedness of our hands against us. It's almost like he took the gun out of a hand and turned it. He, took, he dismantled the gun in front of us and said, now you need to come make peace with me. And it said, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says, and he's talking about the promise that the Lord spoke to him. I saw the Lord ever before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me in Hades, or you allow, or, or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You have filled with me with gladness in your presence. There was this promise given, and David wrote about it in the psalm, saying that his throne would live forever. His throne would reign forever and that he would not decay. But Peter says, brothers, you know, David died. Our patriarch, David died. We literally him go to his tomb. So obviously this promise was not about David in the flesh, but a son greater, someone greater. We can go to his tomb and follow him. He says, since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Remember, Genesis 3, the promise of a son. We're finding ourselves again, David, the promise of a son, of a descendant. And here we have Peter talking to the Jews about the promise of a descendant who will raise, who will literally get rid of death. He would destroy the pains of evil. Verse 31, seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. Peter's trying to get the Jews to understand the only one who can actually fulfill this promise that God had put forth was the one who actually fulfilled it. Jesus was the only one that could fulfill this promise. The one who came, who lived a sin, sinless and perfect life, who was wrongfully judged for sins that he did not commit, who actually had our sins, the ones who did commit the sins, acquitted to him, put on a cross, crucified, broken for our iniquities, put in a grave. Yet he did not be abandoned to death. His body did not experience decay. He goes on and said, God has raised this Jesus. We're all witnesses to this. 
Therefore, since he has, exalt, he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it is not David who ascends into heaven. Again, bringing David's own words to it. For he, but he himself says, the Lord declares to my Lord. Jehovah declares to Jehovah. Showing that there was a God there. There was two persons there, but it was one God. The Lord declares to my Lord. Sit at my right hand and I'll make your enemies your footstools. Verse 36, let, therefore let the house of Israel know that with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Family, we are looking for one who can end division. And I want to tell you that this Lord and Messiah, the one who literally took on the pains of death himself and conquered death, he's the only one that can end division. He's the only one who can overcome this corrupt world because he's already overcome this corrupt world. And for us who put our faith in him, we have overcome this corrupt world. And now we can walk peacefully first before God and all of his creation. He has torn down the walls of hostility. He has declared we are now free from the bondage of our own sins. And he has brought peace to us. He has brought peace to us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 16 says he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Our peace was bought through blood. The one who had the right to declare war against us did not come in and kill us. He allowed himself to die. That is the craziest upside to the story. The hero died on behalf of the enemy. And he did this, why? So that we can call family that we can be brought into the fold. Family, do you believe that? That his blood was shed so that we can be brought into the fold, that we can be known fully by him first and have a relationship with him. Now, when Peter said this to the Israelites, their response, I pray, is the same response that we should have. Verse 37 through 41, and I'm coming to a close. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter to the, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? That should be the question we should be asking as those who still may be in a hostile place before God. What should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive this gift, God's literal presence with us. And I want to uh, just say something on that verse 38 real quick, because some people take this and say, oh, I got to be repentant. I got to be baptized only in Jesus' name. No, this is actually not a 
descript, uh, this isn't a prescriptive moment. This is a descriptive moment. We're being baptized into the authority that he holds for us to be brought into the fullness of the Godhead. That's why this is not a contradiction to Matthew 28 when it says be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is descriptive, not prescriptive. We're being baptized through the full authority that Jesus Christ holds because he holds the full authority with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and when you are, when you come into this, you receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally a bonding agent that holds us into this relationship. He's a bonding agent. He dwells in us. And when he dwells in us, he brings us into the full, unique relationship between him and the Father. It's the craziest thing. And this promise isn't just for us, but it's for our children. So we continue to make disciples of our children. And for all who are far off, anyone who receives this promise, who repents and believes, as many of the Lord our God will call. And then with many other words, he testified, strongly urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. This world does not have the answer to division. And I'm not talking about the math problems. I'm talking about actual division in our world. But he does. He does. And that day, as this message, so so those who accepted this message, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. That day when ears heard this great news that they can be part of this great kingdom where division is lost, they accept it. Will you accept that message today? Will you accept that hope today? That today you could be known and made fully known by God. Will you pray with me? Father, your word still stands the test of time, even when broken men fail in so many ways to express it. <laughs> 